Yay. Good morning, guys. Gina and I are here for another episode of the Impetus Help, po- Help Podcast. Gina's tuning in from the beach and I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, we, we talked a little bit last week about what topic we wanted to kind of transition to after we did a few more um, educational podcasts on specific topics. And so Gina put out a poll on our Instagram about um, what you guys might want to hear from. or hear about and we've narrowed it down to three out of the four and we're going to kind of do a quick hitter episode so share our thoughts and opinions on um some of those topics that you guys voted on Mm -hmm. so we're excited to dive into that today and and gina thanks for for putting that poll out there of course yeah and we just jump straight into these because we don't do like some long (laughs) intro so i hope you're okay with that um but we'll just kind of i'm going to read out the the three topics and we'll go in order of uh, what you guys wanted to hear about most. So the first one, the most popular one, was is fasted cardio effective for fat loss? And then the second was has my metabolism slowed down? And the third was how to build, no, can I have cheat days? <laughs> <laughs> the other one was too complicated to do a quick hitter on. We'll touch things. on it some other time. Uh, right, right, right. That's a good one. Um, all right, so let's just, start out um the first one we're going to do is is fasted cardio effective for fat loss so first let's just define fasted cardio and talk about that yeah so fasted cardio i think has kind of gained popularity in the past few years but essentially it is typically done first thing in the morning before you eat before you have really any type of liquid that has calories in it maybe just coffee and perform some type of cardio session whether that's a zone two so not super intense some people take it and make it pretty intense but it has been kind of a common theme that not eating prior to doing a cardio session is really good for losing fat so my my personal take on that and pretty much what the research says I'm not just saying this because it's my own opinion this is what we have found in the studies also is that there's really no benefit to doing cardio in a fasted state um for fat loss, really the ultimate determining factor of fat loss is being in a calorie deficit. So that is priority number one. So when you look at fed cardio versus fasted cardio, so fed cardio, meaning you had some type of, it doesn't have to be a full on breakfast, but just something to eat prior to um, doing your cardio during that session. So during that fed cardio, you're primarily going to be using carbohydrates is your main substrate. So the main thing you're burning during that exercise session is going to be carbs. In kind of the opposite sense, when you do fasted cardio, the primary substrate you burn is, ooh, there's a bee by my head. Sorry, I'm getting distracted. Um, The primary substrate you burn is fat. But I kind of want to specify what I mean by this because I think it gets confusing here. Fat as a substrate source is what you consume in your diet. So it's not the fat cells in your body that you're burning, it's fat as a fuel source. So during fed cardio, Mm -hmm. you're going to burn primarily carbs and during fasted cardio, you're primarily going to burn fat during that time. However, during the remainder of the day in a fed cardio state, you'll then primarily burn fats as opposed to in a fasted cardio state, you'll primarily burn carbs. So really, it just comes out in the wash when you look at it because you're burning one 
in a fasted state, your burning is the opposite in a fed state, but then the remainder of the day, you just kind of flip-flop how that is. So overall, I think fasted cardio, not necessary for fat loss. If you're someone who loves Mm -hmm. morning workouts and you prefer not to eat before them, I think that's okay. If you think it's absolutely miserable and you hate everything about it, I think don't do it because that's silly and you're not going to stick with it in the long run. Um, And if you're someone who is a competitive athlete, I would definitely recommend eating. I mean, really, I would recommend eating at least something small for most people. But if you're in the competitive space, you really need to focus on having some type of carbohydrate and a little protein prior to exercise. But that's, that's my two cents. Right. And it's, it's important to note that the, the type of workout that you're doing really matters because it is, it's undeniable that there are some, there have been some benefits in the acute sense to fasted cardio um, there have been studies that have shown that it does, you know, improve, improve, um, glucose tolerance and insulin sensitivity, but you also have to account and control for what type of exercise were they doing? Were they going and doing a hard CrossFit workout? Um, or were they doing just like really long, you know, 45 to 60 minute steady state zone two, um, type workouts and how consistent were they? Right. Um, how long were they able to, um, like on a monthly basis, um, keep up with that routine of not eating and working out in the morning. So, um, I think it would be, I'm kind of of the personality that it's quick for me to be like, that's wrong and this is right. But it, it's important to say that there have been benefits shown, but, um, there's also some studies that show, like I read, I read one recently that said, okay, they took you know, two groups of healthy 20 year old women and had them doing cardio three days a week. And they both groups were in a hypocaloric state. So someone monitored their nutrition, made sure that they were in a deficit, both groups. And then the only thing that they changed was, you know, one group did not eat before their workout and one group did. Right. Um, both of them ate after the workout and, both groups at the end of the study lost weight, had significant fat loss. But then when you compare the between group fat loss rate, it wasn't statistically significant. So that basically just leads us to conclude like whatever works best for you in order to have a really good output in your workout and then stay consistent with it, do that, right? Mm-hmm. And and I have a friend who, who literally like if she does not have food in her stomach before she works out, it, it's a, it's going to be a miserable time and she's, her workout's going to be really low quality. Um, you know, but for me, I prefer to yes, eat beforehand, but it's, there's like an hour in between, right? Mm-hmm. And maybe I'll do a squeeze applesauce and I have a really good workout that way. So I think just having the knowledge to know you're not getting these crazy gains by doing fasted cardio. Then there's also some nuance of personal preference there in terms of timing I think that's a lot of like power from a knowledge standpoint to know like you're you're not getting a leg up by doing fasted cardio right. um, beforehand. And I but think there are un, there are some benefits. Yeah, and I think that's a really great point about intensity because if you are someone who, you know, if you eat, you feel really heavy. You feel like that slows you down in the sense of like it makes you nauseous. That's me. Like I need hours after I eat in order to feel like I can go work out or I'll have something really small 
but that's just because I feel better with a little bit less food in my system. Some people, like you said, if you don't eat your workout, you're not going to be able to go to a higher intensity and therefore your workout's not as beneficial, right? You're not having all of the positive side effects from your workout if you're kind of just doing it at a halfway effort. So I think that's a really important point that you made. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and, and last thing I'll say on it is I think like go back and rewind to that part that, you know, Gina said about, um, the difference in fat as a macronutrient and as a, um, fuel source, just because it is really important to note that carbs are our body's primary fuel source. Like we, it's not bad to use those as a fuel source. Like, I think there's just this stigma that it's like fat is the only thing we need to try to like burn when in reality, like carbohydrates are what our brain runs off of is going to make our workouts more, more, um, beneficial in the sense of when we can use that as a fuel source, like we said earlier, our intensity is higher. We're going to get a better workout. So, um, I don't know. I just kind of wanted to circle back to that. Cause I think that's kind of the most important point of this whole topic. Um, is that like you, you, you want to be using your body's most efficient fuel, fuel source. source. Yeah. And, um, and like you said, that's carbs. Like that is your body's number one fuel source for exercise. And then really for the remainder of the day, you burn fat. That is how we survive on a day-to-day basis is primarily throughout the day fat is what is allowing you to walk to your car walk upstairs carry your groceries like that is all you utilizing fat as a fuel source so I would totally agree carbs you're going to feel better you're going to perform better and just all around that's what your body prefers during exercise right right so I hope that kind of clears up some confusion there um on fasted cardio for fat loss so Next question. Has my metabolism slowed down? <laughs> this yeah. is a big one. This is a big so one. Do- yes. Yeah. And I don't know. Well, I was going to say, Ellie, I don't know how many people you hear this from. But I, I mean, honestly, I could at least three people a day. No, not even an exaggeration. But so, no, I mean, I, I would guess your metabolism has not slowed down. Little caveat, unless you lost a significant amount of weight and you're now a smaller human being um so yeah so really studies have shown that our metabolism remains fairly stable throughout life until we're about 60 and so I know most people are going to be like you're lying I don't believe that because it's really easy to say my metabolism's broken it slowed down I'm in menopause my hormones are not allowing me to lose weight but Unfortunately, none of that's true. So I think we have a lot more control over um, our body size than people like to think. And we like to blame things that we feel like we can't control. So to just kind of explain this a little bit more, if we think about what your metabolism is, it's essentially the sum of all of the reactions that take place in your body, right? So everything that you do to survive you add all of those reactions up and that's what your metabolism is. So how many calories you burn to essentially sustain your normal activity. And so that number, the biggest determining factor of what your metabolism is, is your body size. So if you're a larger human being, your metabolism is going to be at a higher rate because you have more reactions that take place to keep your body alive and moving. And well, compared to a smaller human, that's going to be your metabolism is going to be lower relative to the person who has, you know, more mass to move around. 
Now that's not a good or bad thing. That's just how it is. And so the one thing we can control is our muscle mass. And that's why we talk about all the time, the importance of strength training and getting protein in, right? Because that's how you maintain muscle mass or improve muscle mass over time. And so body size, number one, number two, what we can control is muscle mass. And then, you know, people like to say your hormones cause you to hold on to weight or not be able to lose weight. When in reality, if we're kind of circling back, it's really about being in a calorie deficit, right? So if you're not losing weight, you're not in a calorie deficit. It's not that your metabolism is quote unquote broken. Right. And I think the correlate here, the really important thing is the muscle mass piece. And and if you're a client of ours, you hear it all the time. Like Gina said, protein and resistance training. Um, but you know what you mentioned about does our metabolism slow down as we age? We know that we lose muscle mass as we age, right? Like that's just no matter how fit you are, and I don't care if you're you know a professional athlete. Like sarcopenia, muscle loss as we age, is a thing, right? And so if that is one of the main um, correlate or one of the main things that impacts our metabolic rate being muscle mass then as we age we know as we lose muscle mass our metabolism will take a hit to a certain extent but i like to view it as you know the more you can bank up early in your life in muscle the bigger surplus you have to pull from so that you know you're 60 years old and it's kind of a drop in the bucket the sarcopenia like your metabolism is still great because you have a lot of muscle mass to pull from so I like to kind of think of it that way. It's not like, you know, it, it, you might not even notice the the decrease from muscle mass loss as you age, right? And it's so later, based on that, that study you, you cited, you know, if it is 60 years old, that is so late in life. Like, so late, yeah. It's not like you're going to hit 30 and, you know, your metabolism is really messed up. Now, you know, menopause is another thing in and of itself for women um, that, that from a hormonal standpoint does have an impact on um, – muscle mass but a lot of it is, or on uh metabolic rate but a lot of it is related to muscle mass so a hundred percent yes yeah i think a lot of times women think that you know menopause is just going to ruin my metabolism because of the hormones but most of it is muscle mass related yes and and something that was really interesting too is i think that people really need to be honest when they look at what their lives were like because i hear also a lot they could eat yes. whatever they wanted to in high school and college and then now they can't even look at, you know, a piece of bread without gaining weight. So yeah, yeah, I think we have to be honest and look at what our lifestyles were like back in high school, college, early 20s, and realize our lives were probably a lot more active. Because I mean, even if you went to school, like went to a mm-hmm. university, you still had to walk around campus, you still were probably more active throughout your day, you probably played a recreational sport, or you were on a team, right? You did things with your friends, you went out, and now look at your life, right? Whether it's a, you're still working or you're retired, your life probably is a little bit more sedentary if you have a desk job and then you have kids and it's just, you're not near as active as you were back in your 20s. And I think that is a source of a lot of people's issues is that they think it's their metabolism when in fact it's really just their lifestyle and also, you know, diet choices too. I mean, you have to think about maybe what you were eating back when you were in high school and college, it might have not been ideal, but think about the quantity you're now having too. So really being honest when you evaluate the difference between when you were in high school and college compared to, you know, 
what your life looks like now. Right. Yep. And I've been so excited to share this because I think this story is, or this study is just fascinating. So I'm going to find a place to interject it in this podcast, <laughs> but I think this is so um, talking about metabolism and kind of just our self perception of has my metabolism slowed down or have I damaged my metabolism in quotes. I think it's actually really important here to just be careful with that narrative. And this isn't, you know, some weird, like, you know, thing I have, I just think it is important. Like what we say is going to have an impact and what we believe about ourselves is can actually Mm -hmm. like manifest in in some extent to some extent. And there was a um, study done by researchers at Yale and it was called the milkshake study. And it was basically um, out outline or proving this exact concept that placebo effect in our perception has a big impact on our results. And so basically what they did is they um, had two different groups and they told one group, they're like, hey, you're going to get this indulgent milkshake, right? And they told the group that it was like, I think 600 something calories. Mm -hmm. They said, this is indulgent. And then there was the other group and they said, hey, we're going to give you a um, skinny milkshake, right? Or something that's that's more, um, you know, uh, weight loss type connotation, right? Skinny milkshake. The reality is, is that the the shake had the same amount of calories, right? It was 380, but the groups didn't know that. One was told it was like 140. One was told it was like 300 or 620, right? Indulgent and low fat. And then they monitored the, um, the secretion of ghrelin, which is like a peptide in your stomach that basically tells you, hey, I'm hungry and I'm ready for my next meal. And they found that the group that was told that they had an indulgent milkshake, knowing that it was, you know, being told that it was 600 plus calories, that ghrelin, that the the release of ghrelin was like staved off, right? So that they stayed full for longer and they weren't hungry for their next meal for a long period of time. But then the group that was told that they had a, a low calorie shake and that it was skinny in quotes, the, the level of ghrelin that was secreted was really, really high, right? Like they were hungry for their next meal a lot faster. And the reality is, is that the actual caloric intake of both shakes were the exact mm. same, but the the perception <laughs> of that individual being told that, hey, you know, this is low calorie, their body, the hormones actually were like, actually were manipulated from their perception. So they were hungrier faster, which... I don't know if I explained that well, if that made sense, but it was fascinating to me that the, the, what we believe can actually have an impact. Um, and so I think that's also one tying it back to metabolism. Um, I'm not going to say that, you know, you saying that your metabolism is damaged or that it's slowed down, is going to actually physiologically change anything, but I'm also not going to say that it's not, mm-hmm. I think that, you know, could even if it's just impacting your behaviors, right? Mm-hmm. Um, saying your metabolism has slowed down, so maybe you're less compliant with your diet or your your exercise just because you believe there's kind of not much room left to improve. I think it, it definitely could have an impact on behaviors if not your physiology in and of itself. So just encouragement to kind of just be careful about you know what you say about yourself and what you believe because I think that stuff actually matters. I 100% agree. I mean... That you explained that great. I think that study's super interesting. 
And it also ties back to, and this is a little tangent, but what we talk about when you are trying to make a change, you actually have to believe your identity changes. So just how much yeah. your your brain truly does impact actually your behaviors and the impact that, you know, long-term it can have on your outcomes also is crazy. So yeah. it's a powerful thing. Yeah. That was a, that was a, I just wanted to sneak that in. That was like very important to me. Um, <laughs> okay. So the last one, and we're doing good on time here. Last one, cheat days. Can I have cheat days? Gina <laughs> has a very strong position on this word. So I'll let you. Oh gosh. Yeah. Um, I really, I really dislike, I, I mean, I, I could say, Hey, I, I hate the word cheat days. Um, just like good or bad foods. It's just that implies there's some type of morality associated with it. Like, I don't understand what you're cheating on. Like, and because you eat a donut that, that implies like you're cheating on your diet. You're a bad person. Like it just, to me, it doesn't make sense. And I think it just kind of sets you up for failure in the long run, because again, it impacts the way you think about yourself, right? Oh, I cheated on this. Now I'm less than as a person. And it's just, it, I don't like that language. So if I say cheat in the next few, I'm putting air quotes if you can't see me because I don't, <laughs> I, I really don't use that term. Um, because honestly, whatever you're doing diet wise, that should feel sustainable. Like you should be able to enjoy a donut or some ice cream without feeling like you're cheating on something. Um, so anyway, my position on a cheat day or maybe thinking about it in the terms of having a food that feels a little bit more indulgent or maybe doesn't help you specifically reach your goals. Um, I personally think that when people utilize a cheat day or these meals, it's it's really for psychological purposes, right? It's to help over time be more consistent with what you're doing. Because if you tell yourself, I can never have this, in my life, there's going to be a time where you say, screw it, I, I'm going to have it. And then you're probably going to overeat it. So for me personally, I like to have a little chocolate every single day because that helps me be consistent over time, right? Some people like to have very, very strict Monday through Friday. And then maybe Saturday, they have some meals that they typically wouldn't incorporate in their week because that helps them stay consistent for the entire next week. And I think that's totally fine. I think there is definitely some merit with honoring the fact that, hey, these aren't staples in your diet. You still want to enjoy them sometimes. And this is what helps me stay on course for the entire next week. So it is kind of one of those things where it's different for every single person. And that's why it helps to kind of have, if you are lost and nowhere to know where to start, to have a coach kind of say, okay, this is based on your personality style. It sounds like you would do better with this. Is that correct? And, and doing more of a collaboration to figure out, okay, incorporating some treats at the end of every day is going to help you stay consistent over the next year, right? Rather than, you know, some people just have to take it completely out because that works better for their personality. There's not a right or wrong. It's just what works better with you and what helps you stay consistent. <laughs> goals are, that's going to change the frequency of, you know, how often you can, I, I use the word like splurge because for me, it's like a fun, like indulgent, like if I'm going to eat like last night, 
the open is over. I had pizza and I loved it. It was so fun. I don't eat that <laughs> on a daily basis. For me, yeah. it's a splurge. Like it's fun, but it doesn't make me feel like I've done something wrong. I'm just indulging in something that is typically not my norm. Right. And so it's also like you said, it's important to have a coach or someone help you figure out, okay, what do you want? And if you have really high aspirations of this really like crazy body composition, then yeah, your frequency of maybe in, in indulging is going to be a lot less than someone mm-hmm. who just wants to optimize their health and, 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 you know, just not be way off the charts from a BMI perspective or body fat percentage. So it's important to also be realistic with what your goals are and then how often that might equate to, you know, eating out or or pizza nights and all that. So um, I just think that's important, but it's so important that like I tell my client, like if, if, if you're thinking about donuts or or whatever food it is, or that Chick-fil-A meal that you love, Chick-fil-A fries, like constantly, like just go, like, go do it. Just like Mm -hmm. go eat it and enjoy it. Like, Cause at a certain point, like if you keep restricting and repressing, you're right. It does kind of rear its ugly head in a way that can be a lot harder to control than if you just like allow yourself to go enjoy it and move on. Right. So, um, the other thing I did want to say one other thing on that, um, on, oh, dang it. What was it? Oh, when I played basketball, side note, <clears throat> um, I was like really bad about, um, I would do something wrong like I would turn over the ball and then I would hang my head and like I'd be, <laughs> um, and I'd be so upset about it and it would affect, you know, the next five plays, right? Mm-hmm. And I would make a mistake again and again and again. And so my coach used to always just say to me, hey, Ellie, next play, like you messed up, quit dwelling on it and move on because what's going to happen is you're just going to keep sucking if you keep thinking about it. Yeah. You're okay. It's, yeah. And so for, I like to tell my clients that too, like, literally next play like it, the longer you think about it and dwell on you know me eating pizza last night if i'm beating myself up about that today then i'm probably going to keep making decisions that are not in line with like my normal routine right because i'm so upset about that food that i ate last night whereas just eat it enjoy it know that it's a fun thing and then move on because the problem when people start like gaining weight from this cascade of events it's not because of that one meal it's because that one meal led to three meals led to a week led to a month Mm -hmm. and it's all adding up time so if you're able to move on after you know one fun meal you're gonna be totally fine 100 percent. yeah i always like to think about it in in the sense of adding up how many meals you eat throughout the entire year right it's over a thousand and so right. if you have one meal where you're enjoying pizza and ice cream, again, like you said, you are totally fine. It's like stressing out over 0.0001% of the year. And so, again, right. just finding ways that you can enjoy those foods in the long run to help you be consistent with those goals you said, I think is the most important thing. And then I'm just kind of thinking about Something I heard a while back that's a little bit of a side note, but I think it's really important is that people who display high amounts of self-control, it doesn't necessarily mean they're more self-controlled people. There's not really levels, right, of self-control. It's that hmm. you muted for a second. 
Hey, go back oh, to you. The last back? thing. Yeah, the last thing we heard was people who have high levels of self-control aren't necessarily self-controlled. Okay. Yes, they've just so people who have displayed high levels of self-control does not necessarily mean that they have more self-control than other people's, but what it does mean is that they've regulated their environments to where they don't have to say no to the goldfish and the donuts and the ice cream 100 times throughout the day, right? They're not really keeping those things around. So yep. if you are someone who wants to be a little bit more adherent to those goals or you find yourself maybe indulging too much, because I know that that is a thing too, is that you have had to say no 100 times already this week. So then when these opportunities arise in social situations, it's a yes. And so that's just something that I have learned over time is that I have tried to regulate my environment to where I don't have to say no every single day so that when those social situations do come, if I want to say yes, that is okay. Like you said yes yesterday to pizza. That's great. You enjoyed it. But if you're someone who has a little bit more rigid goals or a timeline and you still find yourself um, indulging in these things, regulate your environment a little bit more so you don't have to say no every single day. So when you do have to display that self-control, it's not as difficult because you haven't had to say no a hundred times throughout the week. That is such a good point. It Because self-control is like a battery. It, it, it will drain. Like you have yes. a limited amount of it. And so the less you have to use it, the less you have to turn your phone on per se, the, the more, the longer it's going to last for you to be able to say no to things you want to say no to just because there's less exposure to having to make that decision. So right. You're right. You're right. It's truly just environment regulators, not disciplined people. It's like more so yes. just able to really manipulate my environment. And I noticed that when I moved out of my parents' house, you know, they had a bunch of food that I didn't, you know, necessarily want around. So it was a lot harder there. And then I got my own place where I could control what went in the fridge and the pantry. And I was like, dang, this is pretty easy. Not easy, right. but a lot easier. So yes, a hundred percent. I, I found the same too. Once I moved away, I was like, wow, I don't have to you know, pass by these, all these different snacks and goodies that I want, you know, on a daily basis. But again, important, you can say yes. You can also say no, you have the ability to do both. But if you want to say no to certain foods, then it's important to regulate your environment. So you don't have to say no a hundred times. Very well said. I think that's a great place to end on. And Gina, thanks for coming on. Uh, We're going to hopefully do some more polls because I love kind of hearing what you guys want to hear about so that we're giving you all the content you want to hear. Yes, 100%. Awesome. Thanks, Gina. And thank you guys for listening. And we'll see y'all soon. See ya.